Don't You Don't Look Sick, Episode 6, and it's also Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I know I have very different feelings about this month after being diagnosed with breast cancer, primarily because I just know more. I know more about the disease now, I know more about the treatments, and I know more about how far we have to go to find a cure. Because of that, I wanted to bring on women this month to share their own journey and their own diagnosis with breast cancer. There are real women behind this color pink that is just splashed across marketing campaigns in October. Um, Breast cancer is not just a month. It's not a month for me. It's not a month for anybody who's been diagnosed with it. It is an all year, all day type of thing. So I wanted women to come on who have had an impact on me in this last year, starting with Rach. She is the first person I connected with after being diagnosed. I found her on Instagram and scrolling through her feed, I didn't see breast cancer, which to me at that time is something that I needed. Uh, I needed to see a young woman who was continuing on with life after battling this disease. Rach has a fashion blog called RD's Obsessions. And even though she's sharing her love of style and sharing her own personal style, she's continuing the conversation about breast cancer, specifically breast cancer in young women. So I'm so happy that she is on today to share her insight, to share her journey and diagnosis. And I know that you guys will find her just as inspirational as I have. And she has been such a huge part of my daily life with this diagnosis. So I'm glad that she's here today. Well, first of all, Rach, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and taking time out of your day to talk about your story. I know that it was very inspirational to me. So I know that it will be inspirational. It'll make people feel so much better who are going through this or just want to know um, a different perspective from somebody else. So um, with that being said, you were diagnosed with breast cancer at what age? And can you give us some background information on your diagnosis, how you found out, like those types of things? Sure. Um, so I was diagnosed at the age of 27. Um, but I found out, I guess I'll give a little bit more background history, um, before I found out. So ever since I was maybe 12 or 13, I actually always had this one little lump in my right breast, but every time every doctor I had was like, Oh, like, didn't really think anything of it. They're like, you just have lumpy breast. Um, it's, pretty normal. Just pay attention to it. So I was like, well, they said it's normal. I really didn't pay too much attention to it. Really didn't give myself any self breast exam. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't until our honeymoon, which was like three months after our wedding date, I was putting on my swimsuit top and the I guess the clasp was in the front and I just so happened to brush over my right breast. Mm-hmm. It's like this lump. I'm like, does it feel different? Does it feel bigger? But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking it's probably the same size. I just don't remember yeah. what the size was, but I'm like, it does feel a little large. Um, so it wasn't until I got back from our honeymoon, I happened to have a physical exam scheduled 
went to go see my primary doctor and I wanted to see if she notices. So maybe I was testing her. I don't know. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not going to go and say anything. I want to hear what she has to say to say. So when she did the breast exam, she goes, did that feel different to you? I'm like, well, that's what I want to know. Does that feel different? Oh my goodness. (laughs) And she's like, well, thing is, it feels like there's marbles in your breast. I'm like, okay. She's like, maybe it feels like a couple marbles. And like, she keeps calling it marbles. I'm like, well, I guess it feels like marbles. She's like, but you know, at your age, people have fibroadenoma. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm thinking what it is. I was like, okay. She's like, but let's just do a breast ultrasound just so we know for sure it's fibroadenoma, but it's most likely that's what it is. Um, And then when I was done, um, I was in the, like, they had like this weird section where I get, I have to get dressed and, and one of the nurses knocked and she's like, well, don't get dressed yet. Can you just wait a minute? I'm like, okay. So I wait and wait. It felt forever. And I thought this was a quick appointment. Like I told my work, all right, I have a doctor's appointment and then I'll come back. But by then it was already close to the end of the day. Oh my gosh. Well, well, we need to do a mammogram. Like, okay. Have you had one before? I'm like, no, (laughs) I don't know. And next thing I know I'm in this room where they tell me to place, place, sorry, I can't even talk. Place (laughs) my breasts on that little plate. Yes. And she's like, all right. And this top part would like start going down, pressing Mm -hmm. on my breast, pretty much like giving a boob sandwich. Yeah. Like, what What am I doing? She's like, now lean in a little bit closer. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't even have any more breasts to give. I yeah. don't know. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't have much breast to begin with. But I'm like, this is so weird. And then the machine started moving. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're twisting my breast. Like, <laughs> what is going on here? But I thought it was weird. But in my mind, I kept thinking, this is a normal process, right? You get a breast ultrasound and they do a mammogram. Mm-hmm. And when I was done, I was like, this is the weirdest experience ever. Like, I don't know why I had to do this. And yeah, and they're like, all right, well, let's see if we need more images. I'm like, excuse me? Like, what? This yeah, is so yeah. weird. But luckily they didn't need any more. I went home. As soon as I went home, my doctor called me and she's like, oh, I got your results. She used some term, like, is it microcalcification yes, or something yeah. like that? And she's like, but... And I Googled that up because I'm like, what the hell? But I always act like I know what I'm like talking about when Mm -hmm. I hear it. But I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I don't know. Like, you know? Yeah. Why didn't I ask why? What is that? Um, And then I look it up and it says, oh, potentially cancerous Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But she kept telling me, you know, but fibroadenoma has that too. Like, okay. So... She's like, but we need to schedule a biopsy. Yeah. She's like, just to get it all confirmed, it's fibroadenoma. I'm like, all right, let's do that. And it just so happened because I got it scheduled a couple days later. I actually had like this big meeting at work that I had to travel for. And I was the lead person for this. Mm -hmm. And I had to tell my boss, I'm not going. (laughs) Oh my goodness. He's like, uh, you can't, you can't just do that. I'm like, yes, I can. I have a doctor's appointment. Yeah. He's like, can you reschedule your doctor's appointment? I'm like, no. He's like, what's going on? I was like, uh, and at that point I felt so awkward. I'm like, it seems so premature to share, but at the same time, they're not going to understand why he had to cancel everything last minute. So I pretty much had to say, 
Uh, it's also awkward because it was like my boss at that time was a male. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you know, I have to get a biopsy. And something in his face kind of knew why. I was like, okay. He's like, well, you have to take care of it. Do what you got to do. Yeah. So I wonder, so I think I'm getting too long into the story. No, that's okay. I mean, I feel like the more information that like you can give and definitely when I was explaining, um, you know, a few episodes back about mm-hmm. getting diagnosed, even though it seemed like nothing was adding up, all of these little things add up and we don't really even think about all of them until we look that's back true. on it. And then we're like, Oh wait, there was this lump or there was this that's thing. True. So definitely I feel like <laughs> just tell it all. <laughs> all right. All right. It's just so hard for me to just start like from, Oh, you have cancer. I almost feel like there's always like, like stories that lead up to right diagnosis to kind of get the full picture at, or at least for me to process yeah. the full picture. Um, and let me try to remember. Oh yeah. So I got, I went in for my biopsy and it was so weird because first of all, it was like in this tiny room mm-hmm. and I had like this one nurse that was helping the doctor who was doing the biopsy. And then there's this other nurse at this time, I didn't know what her role was, but she was so kind and Mm -hmm. caring. And then she was like, let me hold your hand. And then she was just like, I'm like, this girl is so sweet. And she's (laughs) constantly checking on me and all this stuff. And I'm like, I like her. Yeah, (laughs) I'm like, she's so comforting. Like, I'm so confused what's going on, but okay. Um, and it was so weird because at the end of the biopsy, the doctor surgeon, I forget, like was holding my hand and he was like, you know, he's like, best of luck to you. I'm like, why do you look at me that way? Yes. Like they uh, already know. And they're not saying anything like that's how it was with my radiologist. He knew the mammogram technicians. They knew, I mean, they, they look at this stuff all the time and here I am and I'm scared out of my fucking mind and nobody like, I'm just like, just tell me like what you're yeah. thinking. I'm like, cause at the same time, like it, I'm probably making it up in my head that I'm thinking of the worst possible situation ever. But at the same time, like, I swear, like, I don't know, like the way you look at me, the, the way, way yes. you, you say it. Um, but I kept brushing it up. Like, you know what? I'm just like messing with myself. And when I was getting dressed, so the lady that the nurse that was holding my hand was, um, my patient navigator. And I didn't know that. Um, she told me that was her role and bless those roles. Oh my gosh. I didn't even know they existed, but I'm so grateful for that. She goes, you know what? Just letting you know, when you have a biopsy, doesn't mean you have cancer. I'm like, okay. Mm -hmm. I felt a little better. She's like, but here's a book that you should read from the nurse. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm so confused. <laughs> she told me it doesn't mean I have cancer, but I should read this American Cancer Society book. I was like, okay. She's like, you know, we'll get back to you as soon as possible. Um, again, don't worry. People have biopsies all the time. It usually doesn't mean anything, but just take a look at that book. I'm like, I'm like, okay. Oh. <laughs> when I told my husband that, he was like, that's so weird. So you don't have cancer, but you have to read a book about cancer. I was like, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and just, of course, my doctor happens to be on vacation during the time my biopsy. So I'm like, well, how the F am I supposed to find out mm-hmm. the results? But it wasn't until two days later 
Because in the middle of the day, I was working from home, thank goodness. I get a call from my doctor who ordered everything, and she was like, I'm so sorry I have to do this by phone. I didn't expect to hear this news, she's like, but based on your biopsy, there was four tumors, and they were all malignant. And I was like, oh. She's like, but here. She's like, how are you doing? And at first, I was like... I guess I'm okay. I, I like, I don't know. You just told in my mind, I'm like, you just told me I have cancer. I don't know how I'm supposed to react. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like telling me all these doctors that I should see and all that stuff. And I'm trying to write down, but at the same time I was like, I don't know if I'm hearing things right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, for some reason too nervous to have her repeat it. Like, Oh, that's how I was. I felt like <laughs> because my radiologist, you know, when he called me, cause I had, yeah. I had multiple biopsies done. And finally when he called and he, at this point I was just like, I was numb to it because I had been waiting for so long. And we yeah. like, this was biopsy after biopsy. And finally, when he told me and he said, you know, assistant with invasive ductal carcinoma. Yep. And yep. you think you're going to break down. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you think you're going to just have this emotional meltdown and you're not even you're going to be like <gasps> okay yeah. like you know but okay. it's it's not like that you you're it's almost like your mind like everything just goes blank exactly like I couldn't function I'm just yeah like, I couldn't uh, I, I mean I processed like okay you just told me I have some form of cancer but you can't right. you're not you can't stage me at this point like exactly <laughs> you, so I don't I have cancer but I don't know how bad it is I don't know any of these things I don't know yeah. what questions I should be asking and yep. I remember the same thing. He said, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm good. Like I said, yeah, but-, <laughs> like, but then I felt so stupid when I hung up the phone. I remember yes. like, I felt like an idiot. Like I was like, did yeah. I, did I just say, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> or like, I didn't understand where the names and that she told me to go see, like, I, I get, I'm going to like, I was like trying to Google out what I try to spell. Cause I'm like hoping they pop up and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I feel so dumb. <laughs> but that's when right after my doctor called me, my patient navigator called me mm-hmm. and she's like, I heard the news. How are you doing? She's like, and then she named all the list of doctors that I should see that my doctor called me about to go see, and she's like, and I was like, oh, these names sound so familiar now. She's like, don't worry, I have it all scheduled yes. for you. Yep. I was like, oh my gosh, she is amazing. Because uh-huh. I, like, I, I really wouldn't know what the next step is, and I would have to try to call my doctor again, feeling stupid, and be mm-hmm. like, oh, can you repeat everything you told me? Yep. Um, <laughs> so that was nice. But yeah, it, it it's so crazy, and um, she's the one who explained to me that it was invasive ductal carcinoma, what the grade is, and what receptors. Mm-hmm. I didn't really understand receptors really, but she was like, "They're estrogen, progesterone, and her, her too." And I was like, "Okay, I think I get what you're saying, but I don't quite get what you're saying." Right. For me, it's like I had all these babies, so I knew what estrogen and progesterone were. Mm-hmm. But then when she came in and said, you're her two positive plus three or something, yeah, I yep. was like, well, what's a her two? <laughs> like, what's a her two? And <laughs> yeah, what does that what mean? And, and she had said to me, like, because I was sitting with my um, breast surgeon when he diagnosed me, and then my nurse navigator was sitting right there, and my breast surgeon got up and left, and she, the same thing, she was like, okay, here are all the appointments. This is what we're going to do today. Can you just stay at the hospital for the full day? And I'm like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Like yeah, what, what exactly. will I be doing here all day? Like, 
And she told me, you know, we, we want it to be her too positive. And I'm thinking, wait, you just told me that her too positive means that it like is more aggressive or it's growing yeah. rapidly. And you want that? Like, I was like, yeah, exactly. She's like, you have, she's like, I know this sounds weird because like every receptor is feeding your cancer, but mm-hmm. it's a good thing. I was like, so an aggressive cancer is good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, you know, it means you have options. Yes. That's what she said. That's exactly what she said, that the newest drugs that they have or chemo regimens that they have formulated to target her too and yep. that they've had such great success with this in the last three to five years and all of this stuff and for my nurse navigator I had no idea that she was she was staged with the exact same cancer I was three, oh, no three years prior I oh, had wow. no idea it's not something that she even tells people unless she feels comfortable enough with you like it, I don't want my patients to like look at me different yeah. That makes sense. Once I tell them. And so once she told me that she was her two positive um, and that she got her septin and the TCHP and everything, I was automatically like, oh, thank God. Like, right. And she's here and all of that stuff. So Mm -hmm. what, what did you end up being staged at? Like when you got to that point? So when they told me they didn't know what stage I was, um, but they did tell me I was grade three, right. Triple positive and all that stuff. I, it actually took a while to stage me because you need the MRI to be staged. Yep. Um, but, um, they were like, when did you last get your period? I was like, Oh, I actually should be getting mine soon. They were like, well, we can't stage you when you're close. To, you can't do an MRI when you're close to getting your period or during your period. Cause it'll create a lot of false positives. Oh, wow. And I was like, okay. So they're like, let us know as soon as you get your period and we will, immediately schedule the MRI, put you in high priority so that we can figure this all out. I was like, okay. So I'm like, well, I should be getting mine any day, but of course <sighs> it didn't come as planned. And it made me nervous. Cause you know, she was, she would call and check on me every couple days just to see how I was going. She wasn't trying to freak me out, but just kind of like see where I'm at. And she's like, just letting you know, you know, we will need to do a pregnancy test, uh, you know, and maybe there's some decisions that need to be made. And I was like, what does the heck does that mean? But in the, I kind of knew what she was getting right. at without blatantly saying, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like freaking out even more. I'm like, are you kidding me? So of course then my entire family is asking about when I'm getting my period. Even my father, he's like, did you get your period? Oh. <laughs> like the whole family is like aware of my cycle now. <laughs> and it was weird. So of course, when I finally did get my period, I was like, thank goodness. I told everyone and I was like, oh my gosh, yay, we're so happy. You got your period. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so bizarre, but I'm like, whatever. So that's, so it took like maybe two weeks until... Okay. I was able to get the MRI and be staged. So at that time they said stage two A because there was no signs of lymph nodes. Right. So that's where I was finally like two weeks after I was diagnosed is when I was staged because it just took a while to figure out when I was getting my period. Yeah. <laughs> did you um, have genetic testing done? I did. So I did get it when I got the full pathology report and I did a suite of genetic tests, I think Mm -hmm. I got tested for six, Mm -hmm. six or eight genes. I can't remember. I know it's an even number and it was multiple because I just remember seeing so much tubes of blood. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, this is a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't expect that. So I was tested negative for all the gene mutation. There's one 
which is the PAL B2, mm-hmm. which showed I was a variant of it. Uh-huh. But after seeing a genetic counselor, they said that variant wasn't enough to conclude it as a mutation. Okay. So you have no family history then? No family history. It, it's just... It's, crazy, right? I know. And, and that's the, I think that's the huge misconception about breast cancer is that mm-hmm. it's heavily focused on genetic history. Yep. Um, but if you look, I think what they told me that like 80% of breast cancer has no family history. Yep, exactly. Um, you just reminded me. So when I told one of my friends that I have breast cancer, I think it was like the day of I got diagnosed or the second day. And somehow she brought up the topic about like, cancer in the family. It's like, no, I, I don't have it. She's like, oh, I thought you, you do have it in your family. Like as if it justified why I have cancer. Right. And like, and it made it all right that if it ran in my family that, I was, and I was just like, um, no. And I, I may have said a little harsh, but I'm just like, that was kind of insensitive. Yeah. But <laughs> I, that is automatic. I mean, um, especially when you're, I feel like when you're young and you get breast cancer, people automatically assume that your mother yep. had breast cancer. And yeah. I mean, I thought, I just thought that that was such a weird question. Like when I was going through chemo and Mm -hmm. obviously then people knew and they would ask me like, oh my gosh, I can't believe what you're going through. And is it something that you've watched like a family member go through? And I'm like, no, this is, and then they automatically say, once I say, no, this is, I have no family history of breast cancer or the first one in my family who's had it. They think, oh my gosh, well, you have two daughters. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not a guarantee. I don't carry the gene. Right. I don't carry the gene. So there's exactly. no, there's no guarantee that my daughters are going to get breast cancer. Obviously yeah. they will start screenings at a younger age than most. Right. I think like my breast surgeon said they should start being monitored or being doing physical, like getting a physical exam by a, a breast surgeon or a specialist starting yep. at 17, just to be aware. And also just to make them aware of this the severity of breast cancer in young women, because like, obviously my girls will not remember me going through this or they're not gonna, they're only going to have small bits and pieces of it. They're not going yeah. to remember the surgeries or really the chemo and any of that type of stuff. So they'll start young, but I feel like there are just so many mm-hmm. myths out there yes, yes, about breast cancer and especially breast cancer in young women. We kind of, we kind of touched on this before, but like, what were your first thoughts being diagnosed? I was just, just listening and, and I just felt like I had to tell everyone I knew. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know if it was just me trying to, I don't know, come to terms with it or what, but I had to just tell everyone. I literally, I called my husband first, called my parents, called my sister, called my in-laws. And then when I had to go to work the next day, I literally went up to everyone. I mean, now I think about it, I'm like, that's so awkward of me. <laughs> but like, I went to everyone. I was like, Hey, I have cancer. Like, you know, like, yeah. good morning. I have cancer. Like, I just had to tell every single person at work. I don't, I don't know. Like, I think, I, yeah, I think it's a coping thing or that everybody yeah. deals with their diagnosis differently. Yeah. I, I remember I felt like I didn't want to tell a single soul outside of like my family. I remember, but then once I got started, I, that's when I felt like I needed to tell even like the person <laughs> checking me out at the grocery store. Cause she would look at me 
and I shaved my head or maybe I was like starting to, I had like bald patches when I was walking around and I felt like she was looking at me, but obviously no one's going to ask me. So I just needed to tell her. Yep. And it was so awkward. I remember like my husband was like, why are you just telling people? I'm like, because (laughs) you don't understand. Like I need them to know that this is why I look like this. Exactly. (laughs) Like Like, I felt like I don't want, I don't want them to think I'm a like, I don't know, this sounds bad, but like a weirdo for no reason. Like I'm going through something major and they need to understand yep. that I didn't do this by choice. Yes. Yeah. I, I literally would tell everyone or people who occasionally I would pop in and there for work and some haven't seen me and they'd be like, Oh, I haven't seen you in a while. You got a haircut. And I was like, not by choice. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, what do you mean? And some someone <laughs> randomly asked me like, "Oh, did your hair get caught on fire?" I was like, oh. <laughs> um, "No." You're like, "Actually, that's a little extreme." But no, I have cancer. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it was. Or I was just like, that was like, it's just funny. Like that's like where their mind goes. Like, oh, your hair got on fire. Like, no, yeah. I, I, I lost it from chemo. <laughs> yeah, no one. It's so hard. No one thinks that it is cancer or they just automatically assume that cancer patients look a certain way and, yes, and yes. like, well, what you're standing up and you're walking around and you're not this like very thin, frail yep. person. Like, isn't right. that what chemo patients or isn't that what cancer yep. patients look like? And I just remember being like, how are you even out of the house? And I'm yes. like, I'm like, well, I'm not, I have cancer. I'm not a prisoner. Like, right, right. I, I still can leave the house and these weird thoughts and notions of cancer and what yeah. it's supposed to be. And then when you don't look that way, then it, people automatically assume, well, then it must not be that bad. Yes, exactly. That's like what bothers me. I, I mean, I, I blame a lot maybe on TV. Yes. How they portray cancer. Um, I don't mean to be like raging at it, but I just don't think they're very realistic. Mm-hmm. I, I, do, I mean, I do agree. There are some who look frail and, yes. uh, but I also think I see that like at the very end stage. Yeah, and it cancer. depends on, it, people need to understand it depends on what type of cancer yeah. you have, mm-hmm. what type of treatments that you're going through. Um, yeah. cause your body is going to react so, you know, so differently. And your weight yep. is the biggest thing, or at least for me, was the biggest thing that mm-hmm. fluctuated between oh yeah, being on and off steroids or... Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like all of those. There were some times that I was like, I've gained 15 pounds in however many weeks because yep. I'm on this dose pack steroid that like, yep. I'm like a bear in the middle of the night, like through yes. my pantry, just eating everything. Oh my God. <laughs> I have a story. So I, this is so dumb. It was like, I, after my chemo session, I would like, cause like you're, you're on steroids a couple days before, yes. during, and, um, and I was so hungry. I was telling my parents, I need Popeyes. <laughs> like, I need it. So you have no idea how much fried chicken I had. <laughs> and it was like the best thing ever at that time. Yeah. But the next day, I was like, this was the dumbest decision yeah. ever. Like, I felt gross. I was nauseous. I mean, I love Popeyes chicken, but I'm like, not that much. Yep. Like, yep. who's but yeah, yeah. I, I can't control. Like if I want it, I got to have it. Yeah. And those <laughs> cravings are so weird through chemo. Your entire taste buds change, oh, yeah. um, you know, and 
I can, I mean, I can say that for me, it was like a, it was like a flash to like morning sickness and pregnancy because I was like, like I had this heightened sense of smell, but then even water, the thought of water was disgusting. Yeah. But all I wanted was like a bacon cheeseburger, (laughs) like like all the time, but I couldn't, I could barely eat it because of the mouth sores Oh, the sores were awful. The worst thing. And so I would drink that magic mouthwash. Yep, yep. And it would numb and coat the back of my throat. And I would literally yep. scarf a Big Mac and a large fry in like three yep. minutes flat. Yep. And then, but then, I mean, everybody, and I talk openly about this. Not everybody is comfortable with it though. Like, <laughs> um, then you have the diarrhea and then you regret, yep. you regret yep. ever eating anything yep. in your life. Yep. It's so true. But it's, it, you seriously, he hit those highs and lows and you're just like, I'm all for it. And you're, I don't know. It's so crazy. It is, I mean, it is. So what, um, what were your treatments? I, I know that we've talked so many times over like yeah. the course of the last year about <laughs> treatment, but yeah. what, um, what were your treatments that you went through and kind of where are you currently as treatment goes? Yeah. So before I even started chemo or anything like that, I went through the whole fertility preservation. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I completely forgot that that was, can you, (laughs) yes, I think, can you talk about that? Because I don't think that people realize Mm -hmm. that aspect. Yes. So, um, immediately after I was diagnosed, you know, they told me like, you guys just got married and I don't know where you are in your family planning, um, process, but with chemo, it may change that, um, you know, like your eggs and, you know, like they went through that whole spiel. Mm -hmm. Um, to be honest at first, I didn't want to go through it because Mm -hmm. I was scared Mm -hmm. just because from what I hear, they're going to inject more hormones to get more eggs out of you. Right. And I'm like, um, if hormones are feeding my cancer, why would I want to give it more hormones? Right. And it took me a while until I actually went to go see like four second opinions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm psycho that way. And it wasn't until the oncologist I felt most comfortable with. She was like, you got to have life after cancer. You got to have whatever you always wanted. Mm-hmm. You, I don't want cancer to prevent that for you. She's like, I will support every decision you have. I am ready to tackle whatever happens. And so luckily I got seen a fertility specialist who like oh, mainly with cancer patients, they talk it out with the plan and I just went through it. I mean, I didn't like it because mm-hmm. like the shots every day, there was one where you hear the clicks and they had my husband have to do it slowly. and I was like oh my gosh and you had to do it twice a day and when so and then every day you had to go in and get your blood drawn and then they they need to see where you are at because there's this one final shot you have to take before the egg retrieval and that one shot gave my husband so much pressure because basically you only have one time to do this. Oh my God. So you have to make sure you don't accidentally squirt it out. But of course it, you had to give a little pressure for it to get going, make sure you remove every air bubble. So he was like shaking when it was oh my like, gosh. I can't even shot. believe they like let <laughs> someone else do this, like out of a yeah. medical facility. I know. I was like, you're making me come in to get my blood drawn every day. Why can't you do the shot? Yeah. <laughs> but he did it. He was just like, 
because it has to be like an exact time. You got to do this. So he's like, oh, my God, I got to get the air bubble. Oh, my gosh, it's not going. But I don't want to, like, release it all. Otherwise, I've got to start the process all over again. Oh, my gosh. But luckily, it all went went through the egg retrieval. Um, they were able to get nine eggs and then fertilized eight of them. So we have, I guess, little embryos now that it's frozen up in Minnesota. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, that's just adds such a another level to, oh, yeah. to everything. I mean, I've said it and I, I, I feel awful. So, I mean, sometimes I do feel so bad that I have four kids, like, oh, don't feel not, bad. not feel bad. Like, cause I had them, but like when I talk to you or I talk to other women and you have to go through so much more than I had to go through and you still have to go through so much more and you're put on a timeline and then, but you have to go through these treatments mm-hmm. afterwards. Like there is no, there, there is no way around that or there is no way around that without having like, I don't know, a, a huge life panic attack, like, <laughs> you know, but I mean, I just, sometimes I feel like I just can't, I can't imagine you know, not having my kids, obviously, but then having to go through this and make decisions that you and your husband as newlyweds have had to make. And now the decisions that you will have to make going forward. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it definitely wasn't, I wasn't prepared for it and we weren't planning to have kids right away, but I knew we wanted a family. So I just felt very rushed to make Mm -hmm. decisions so quickly, but you know, you just, you just got to do what you got to do. You know, that's, that's how I see it. I'm like, I feel like in every step of the way, there's always pros and cons. Mm-hmm. And it's more like, what can you live with, with every decision? Yes. Yeah. That's how I, I say to myself to, I don't know if it's to make myself feel better, but that's what I have to say to myself to kind of get through it. Yeah. And so how long, so you did the egg retrieval and all of that. Did <laughs> they give you like a waiting period to start chemo or yeah, so technically an egg retrieval, even though it wasn't that big of a process, is still a surgery, and they want to make sure my numbers are ready for chemo. Mm-hmm. And so I think I had to wait maybe a few weeks before I started chemo. So by then I started chemo. So I got diagnosed in January with all the process. I didn't start chemo till in March which happens to be a few days before my birthday. So I got my first dose of chemo on St. Patty's Day. And if you are in St. Patrick's Day in Chicago, like everyone's like basically drunk off their ass. Well, I'm like, I'm going to chemo. <laughs> it's a whole new level of drunk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. And so you, you also went through TCHP, right? Yep. Yep. That's exactly my regimen. So it's TCHP and they got me started on my, um, ovarian suppression. So I take my Zolodex. So, and I totally forgot that we were going through that process. So during, I can't remember which drug they were, was currently being infused. And I see my nurse at that time was like cleaning my stomach. I'm like, what are we doing? She's like, Oh, I'm giving you a shot. She's like, and then I see her take it out. I'm like, Oh my gosh, (laughs) this thing is scary. And I started to get nervous. And she told, cause I had quite a bit of family and friends like decided to hang out with me. And they're like, if any of you guys are afraid of seeing blood and needles, I suggest you leave right now. Oh, because, because the Zolodex is a pill, right? Or like it's, yeah, in, it's, it's a injected. capsule. Yes. Yeah. And it's injected underneath. Yeah. And so I just like, I hate how it looks. I mean, the needle is huge, but it kind of makes like a little U shape. Mm-hmm. So it's just, thicker. Yeah. 
And then, uh, and then they have to do like this, I don't know what you call freeze spray to numb it. Yep. So even that freeze spray is not comfortable. I'm like, I feel like I'm getting a frostbite. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, she's like, we'll get this every three months. I was like, Oh my gosh, the shot is awful. She's like, I know. She's like, a lot of us nurses have to try to like, <laughs> um, persuade one another who would do the shot. I was like, Oh my gosh. Oh, oh my gosh. I mean, that's what I remember when I started. Cause I didn't start the hormone suppression until after I was done, um, with radiation and, <laughs> you know, they had said, we're going to start you on Lupron. And, but if you have a, if Lupron is too harsh, because I guess Lupron, same with Zolodex, but like, I guess Lupron is known for like really just harsh joint pain and bone pain. Mm -hmm. And, and I guess some people end up quitting or trying another one. And so they said, if you if you do the Lupron and it doesn't work out, we can always, there's alternate drugs. And one nurse, she came in to do my Lupron shot and mine's just a thick, needle just in the muscle and they just give it to me in my butt. But she said, just try and do really well on this drug. I said, why do I, how do I try to do yeah, really, right? how do I, like, what can I do to do really well? Because I want to do well. I like, I right. feel like that would be beneficial. Um, yeah. <laughs> and she said, you don't want the Zolodex. And I said, what's the Zolodex? And she showed me and she told me like, it, it's inserted underneath and it's in your stomach. And I was like, nope. I, I'm going to do so well on this drug. (laughs) So, so I completely feel for you. I mean, sometimes I think mine is bad with the shot, but then I'm like, you know, I, did you ever have to have new Lasta? Uh, no, I didn't. The, the little injection in your stomach, like the little meter that they stick onto your stomach and it just, it's like a little bomb and it stabs you at a certain time. (laughs) No, I definitely did not get that. It's like a crazy little thing. And they put this little meter on your stomach um, and it's to help boost your white blood count. And I got it after I had been hospitalized with a neutropenic fever and they put it on my stomach and then it gives you like 48 hours and then it goes beep, 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 beep. And it just injects you into your stomach. And then you take this little bomb mechanism off your stomach. Oh um, but after getting that, I was like, I no longer want to be injected <laughs> in the stomach. <laughs> like, <laughs> if I can avoid the stomach area injections, I will be so happy. So the fact that you have to go in there and do that every three months, like <laughs> you're a trooper. <laughs> You're a trooper too. I think like everyone, that's where one thing people misunderstand about breast cancer is even if you have the same breast cancer as someone, everyone's treatment is slightly different. Yes. And I think a lot of people tend to compare, at least in the non-cancer world, like, oh, so-and-so did this. Why aren't you doing this? You should be doing that. I was like, um, leave me alone. I didn't know you're now an oncologist. (laughs) Yes. I mean, people just, I, I don't know. I think going through it, just like you said, like going through it, I feel like when people would tell the, tell me those types of things, I felt like it was so rude. And I feel like, mm-hmm. I felt like it was so aggressive. Like, how dare yes. you, how dare you tell me like how to do this? But now looking back, now that I've like come kind of out the other side of the big treatments, I'm like, mm-hmm. I think that might be people's way of thinking, feeling like they're helping yeah. Like, or trying to find like a common denominator. People just don't realize just how much you go through. And exactly. like, there's such an emotional aspect to every little piece of cancer and especially breast cancer, because, you know, as a woman, you're just kind of like, 
not that like our, our boobs are this huge part of, <laughs> of anything, but you're just kind of like, you're, you're taking off a piece of me and, mm-hmm. and it's something that you just can't replace. It's not something that I've elected right. to do. And, you know, I mean, we could go and we could go on and on about like the bilateral mastectomy versus boob job debate, which like gets me every time. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but with that being said, you did decide to have a bilateral, correct? I, okay. Yep. So after TCHP, I decided to have the bilateral. I mean, I did it for two reasons. One, I was like, well, I don't want to increase my chance of having cancer on my left side of my breast. And since I had very small breasts, Mm -hmm. I felt Mm symmetry-wise, it makes sense to just have them both go under reconstruction. Right. Because, like, it's going to be very obvious which one um, has reconstruction, which one didn't. So I think it was, like, a little bit of physical aspect to it where I'm like, if I have to do this, might as well do both and make them look the same as much as possible. Um, and it just made me feel better. I don't know, like, Oh, might as well just get whatever you can out of there. Yeah. People have asked me like, could I chose the bilateral, but could it have been done with Mm -hmm. just doing like a lumpectomy or something? Was yours able to be done as a lumpectomy or because you had four tumors, was it going to be one of them was going to be a mastectomy no matter what? So they, different doctors, like, cause I went to like different hospitals for opinions, had different opinion, but overall okay. you, I could have gotten a lumpectomy. It just would look very odd because it was like, basically the tumors were on the top quadrants of okay. my breasts uh-huh. and it would just look significantly different where they said it would look almost like a partial mastectomy. Yes. Um, and I was like, oh well, and then, so I did have option, but they're like, it's totally up to you. It's your decision. And one, like the surgeon I have now, she like broke down each different types of surgery, mm-hmm. um, pros and cons. And she said, there's not enough studies to say which one's better. Yeah. Or, um, so we will leave it up to you, which one you prefer doing. Right. And so I was just like, take it all off. <laughs> yeah. I felt like that from, and I remember, um, my family thought that I was crazy because even before I had been diagnosed, I said, you know, just going through the biopsy process, I said, if it comes back as breast cancer, I, I want both of them off. And yep. I, at that time, I didn't know if I wanted reconstruction or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I just knew that I didn't want them. I was just like, right. get, get rid of them. I, and my family was like, oh my God, like what's wrong with you? Um, <laughs> Like that's so extreme, you know, what if they could just get it, you know, just take out the one tumor and all of this other stuff. But for me, like I had, before I had kids, I had bigger boobs, but then going through children, my boobs were like a deflated, like (laughs) they were like a deflated balloon. Like they looked like maybe like chicken cutlets just sitting, (laughs) sitting on my breast. So I was just kind of like, I felt the same way. I felt like if you're going to reconstruct one and then I'm going to have this big round boob and then I'm going to have this like deflated boob on the other side, like what's going to be the point of this. Um, and I just knew that going into it, but I remember my family was just kind of like, that's so extreme. And, you know, they kept thinking like, well, what if you can't keep, like, don't you get rid of your nipple? Like everyone just thinks of, of mastectomy is just, you, you get rid of your nipple no matter what. And you're just going to have these big scars across your chest. And, um, they don't realize that there are nipple sparing 
mastectomies mm-hmm. that you can also get a prosthetic nipple later if you really wanted or yeah. a tattooed nipple and all these things. So it's not just these, these big scars, which I, I don't have nipples. Um, they took both of mine and I do have scars that go diagonally across my chest, but I like my scar. Like, Oh yeah. Now when I see a nipple, I'm like, Whoa, it's a nipple. Like I get, I get a little surprised in the beginning because I'm so used to like seeing myself no. with no nipple. Yep. Yep. Well, it's funny with me. Cause I, they initially were thinking of removing my nipple. Um, and my, cause, but my surgeon was so concerned because I don't know how many young adults she has dealt with. She's like, the lot are very concerned with the appearance. I will do my best to save it. I was like, do what you got to do to save my life and yep. I'll deal with the nipple later. Yep. But I woke up and I did get nipples, <laughs> but she did warn me. She's cause I was like, Oh, if I have no feeling, does it mean when I'm cold, they don't stick out anymore? <laughs> <laughs> literally the first thing that popped her head. She's like, well, it's different for everyone. But a lot of women say it's stays up. And I was like, fuck. And <laughs> mine does. And now I feel like I have to put like extra padding to be like, Oh my God, can you go down? Oh, Cause I'm not even cold. <laughs> I know. But do you, and I don't know if you do or not. I have no, I don't have feeling in my chest. Yep. Um, I don't either. <laughs> okay. Cause like now even I had, I had on, um, what's it called? Stary strips for the longest <laughs> time. And I would just rip those stary strips off and <laughs> I would never feel a thing. And even now I I'm, I'm starting to kind of like, I've had Mm -hmm. kind of like those nerves firing, um, kind of like up near my collarbone and stuff, but still Mm -hmm. down on my chest, I have nothing. (laughs) Like Like, I'm starting to get a little bit of sensation, but it's not the same sensation that like, it just feels off. No, it almost feels like, you know, when you get dental work and you can, yes, and it's yes. numb and you can feel like, you know, that you're touching yep, the side of exactly. your cheek, but you can't feel yep, the side exactly. of your cheek. That's how I exactly. feel like my boobs. And like, that's the best way I can describe it. Yes. You, you nailed people? it. Okay. Cause I'm like, cause sometimes I'm like, well, they're not getting it. Like I have feeling, it's not like you could just punch me in the boob and I wouldn't <laughs> feel it. Would react to it. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, there's, but it's a weird, it's just like they're numb. There's no sensation. There's no real nerves or anything going on in there. And even my lymph nodes are moved on my left. And so my whole armpit and down almost to my elbow is underneath is still numb. It's a weird sensation. It's like, it's kind of eerie to me. I'm like, oh yeah. Like when I touch it, I'm like, oh, it freaks me out. (laughs) Yeah. It was, it was so, yeah. That's how I feel like when I would take the stary strips off, like I know I'm removing this strip that is is meant to be on there. And so I can only imagine ripping it off on like normal skin, but I felt like I can, I'm seeing myself rip this off, but I'm feeling none of it. And it is just so weird. And Chris would sometimes stand in the bathroom, like while I was changing them or he would help me change them. And he would be like, Oh, like he would, (laughs) he would like get the chills or he would just be like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you're just ripping that off. And I'm like, I can't feel it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, it's just, I mean, everything is just so, I know, so crazy with like this type of stuff. But the one thing that I've just totally admired about you and you going through this process is that you've shared your story, but you've also, and if people don't know this, they need to know this. You have a full-fledged fashion blog that you have <laughs> kept up with throughout treatment and like everything. How, how did you even do that? I, I, you know, looking back, I don't know how, but at the same time, 
I think the blog also somewhat saved me mm-hmm. in a weird way because I, I did have a little bit of break, but I just felt like shit about myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I look like myself. I didn't want to have the effort to even like, I love to dress up and put together an outfit. And I'm not saying like, Oh, I put on the best outfits, but I just like when I put together an outfit and feel good. And I yeah. didn't even want to make the effort to do that. Yeah. Um, and then somehow I was like, you know what, I'm going to try to do this blog and see how try to blog through it. And I did it one day and it forced me to get out of the house. And sometimes that fresh air helps me. Yeah. Um, I don't feel so stuck and confined and it gave me an excuse to go out and it gave me an excuse to like, learn how to feel like myself and just like learn to embrace my body. And I mean, I didn't like what my body was turning into, but at the same time I've learned to embrace it. Yep. And it helped me gain that confidence. So, you know, it, it, I always thought like it did save me because when I wasn't feeling well, it forced me to kind of step a little bit out of my comfort zone to just feel like that, you know, like my husband and I would just shoot for 10, 15 minutes, like that 10, 15 minutes of bliss that I could feel human. Yep. Um, and you know, I gave myself the extra effort learning how to put on an eyebrow oh. was, <laughs> oh my gosh. Like I remember one time I started off way too high and uh-huh. it was like, you look a little surprised. And I was like, damn it. Now I have to start over. Like, yeah. Oh, oh it, it is. I mean, you don't even think of, I, the same thing happened to me. And in the beginning of me putting on my eyebrows, like I look back and I can look at pictures. They were way too big and way too dark, <laughs> but I didn't know what I was doing. Like, I didn't know right. the shape of my natural brow anymore. Like there was literally yeah. nothing there. And yeah. same thing. They would be crooked on some days. <laughs> Or one time the I did the same. It was like literally in the yeah. middle of my forehead. And yep. Chris was like, have your eyebrows always been that high? <laughs> and I'm like, I almost broke down because I was just like, I'm so frustrated. I've been in there for like 20 minutes. Yeah, like, it's like I did this for a long time and it didn't. Uh, it was. Yeah. And that's where I learned the sunglass trick where yeah. I was when I put on sunglasses, you can't even tell if I mess up, don't need to put an effort with my eyes. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, really that's what, and then it motivated me to keep it up. Um, I had to slow down, say no to collaboration and just kind of focus on what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And, but it made me feel like the rage, the, the, the old rage that like reason why I blogged and why I felt good about myself before. So yeah, yeah. no, it completely, it completely makes sense. And I, I remember when I first found your Instagram and your blog, like I just binged like the whole thing. I went through like the whole, <laughs> all the archives, I'm reading all the breast cancer posts, but I'm, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like she, you know, reading like you were doing TCHP and you know, my, I was, I was reading all these horror stories basically about TCHP and how people are not getting out of bed. And, and I know that cancer affects everybody. And I would never, ever in my life tell somebody that this is how I did it. So this is how you should do it. Exactly. Like it's going to affect everyone differently. But I felt like when I saw you getting up and still putting on cute outfits and still doing your hair and makeup and, or even, you know, wearing a wig, I felt like, okay, like she's, she's still embracing life. Like this has not completely (laughs) stopped her, whether 
you know, and that's what people don't get is that you, you have your good and your bad days. And obviously yeah. you're not blogging when you're like stuck on the toilet the whole day. Right. Um, exactly. <laughs> like you, I'm, no one's posting pictures of that, but that doesn't mean <laughs> that you're not going through it. And it doesn't lessen anybody else's journey right. if they're not getting out there. Like that's not, agreed. that's not what it is. I just found so much like inspiration and I did like a sense of like, almost like a sense of home when I would go onto your blog and everything, because Aww. I knew, but I knew the backstory, you know, like I, I, yeah. I knew that when you were saying you didn't feel good or when you were saying that you were anxious or nervous and you're having all these feelings that I'm having those same feelings, but you can still do what you want to do. It doesn't mean that it's like, it's debilitating or, right. I mean, and, and at some points it, it, it very much is, but I, I just felt like you really put the time and effort to, to embrace the new you and, but also to keep things normal. Yeah. And I think that's what I did try to do. And like you said, there are times where it is a struggle. And I think I talked about it. Was it yesterday where I feel like people think you're not being authentic when you're showing like happy yes. pictures, but I'm like, when I'm going through something, I don't have the time to take yep. a picture of it. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I'm going through something and I'm not going to like, Oh, let me take out my phone and take a picture that I'm struggling. Yeah, No, 100%. <laughs> when I, um, I think it was probably the second episode of my podcast or just talking about going through chemo and some of the <laughs> side effects and things that were happening. Someone had messaged me and said, I didn't know any of this was going on. You made it seem like you had just gotten through chemo so easily. I had no idea like all of this had happened. And, you know, my response was that, well, if you, you know, if you look back at when I went through chemo, I would post the picture that I went to chemo, but then four or five days would pass where I wouldn't post anything. And that's when my phone was not even near me. That's when I was like just in the fetal position and you know, then I would post a picture when I would reemerge. <laughs> like, right. Exactly. That That's exactly how I was like, or even if during those times I post a picture, they look happy. It just made me feel happy knowing, yes. Oh, I can get there again. Yeah. Like I can't wait for this to yeah. wear off. And I know I'm going to have that solid week before my next round yes. that yes. I'm going to feel yes. human <laughs> and I just have to get there. So, but I mean, I realize I feel that way too. Sometimes I feel that way even now is like, I'm being, I'm not giving credit and I'm not giving, like, I'm not doing the right thing by showing all of these fun, happy pictures when that's not always what I'm going through, but I want to be that way. I want, I want to stay positive. I want to stay in a happy and joyful place because Mm -hmm. I could, you, and you know this, your mindset and your emotions can go dark so fast. Yes. It's just striving for that positivity every day, even if you feel like, like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> like, yes, exactly. That, that, I mean, you literally read my mind. Exactly <laughs> what's going through my head. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And with, uh, with that being said, I think that there is so much that I wish people knew about breast cancer, but not just breast cancer in older women, it's breast cancer in younger, younger. women that, oh, but you're so young and you're so healthy. So you're just going to beat this. And Right. And while I feel like that's a great mindset and that's a, that's a positive thing to hear and everything they're, they're just saying that because they think that breast cancer Mm -hmm. is, is it it takes the life of older women. What they don't necessarily understand is that breast cancer is the most aggressive in younger women. 
Yep. Um, so what are some things that like you wish people knew? So breast cancer is so aggressive with younger women and they, it's, it's also cancer is taking away a different aspect of our lives. Like we go, there's things in your life you go through Mm -hmm. and you don't realize you have to, but once you have cancer, all of a sudden you have to deal with, it takes away from you moving forward sometimes. Yep. There's like this survivorship and so I hate, and I don't, sometimes I don't like the word survivor, cancer survivor, because doesn't portray a picture of really what we go through. A lot of people think, oh, cancer survivor means you're cured, you're cancer-free. There's no treatment that you're going through. There's no struggle. But the reality is there's so much you go through. Mm -hmm. After chemo, um, there's so many different treatment plans that still alter your day-to-day And then there's that mental aspect you have to go through, like, how do I even deal with today? I can't function the way I used to, Mm -hmm. you know, and people, and, and that's where I wish people knew, like, there's just so much more to it than you go through chemo and then you're done. Yes. Um, And so that's where I wish I could figure out a way to share that with people. But sometimes there's that awkward moment where someone's like, well, I really want to understand. And you try to share it and either you get the, Oh, you're not grateful for where you are now or which like, I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I, I am grateful. I'm I'm just sharing you the reality of it. And that like bothers me so much because I'm like, how can you say I'm not grateful for being alive? Like no freaking way I am. Of course I am. Yeah. I feel that way so much. And especially, I mean, I know you, you're a little bit further outside of treatment than I am, but I know you've touched on this so many times is like, nobody tells you how to live when treatment is over. Like you're, when you're going through treatment, you just feel like it's your full-time job. Like you, you really can't even think about doing much else. Cause you're just thinking about the, you know, the medication schedule and all of your appointments that you have to get through and yeah. being near a bathroom at all times and yeah. plan a laid out plan yes. what to do where like here, it's like, you're just thrown in the ocean. You're like, Hey, now figure out where you got to go. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's, it's hard because people obviously like, and you know, this and, and I'm starting to know this is that people don't treat you like you have have or had cancer because you don't look that way. And that's the whole yeah. topic of, but you don't yes. look sick is yeah. the fact that I, there's a part of me that, you know, when people say, Oh, I love your hair. And I just, am like, mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I've had to learn to just, you know what, smile and nod and just say, thank you. Because not every conversation needs to be, Oh, well I had breast cancer. It's true. Yep. Not all of those, but then there's another part of me that's like, no, I want you to know this, like, I am a different, per- like, I'm a different person. Yes. Like this, I have gone through something yes. so harsh and my family has had to go through this. And my husband is not just my husband. Mm-hmm. My husband is somebody who, and your husband too, being a caregiver, yes. they have seen so much and they have dealt with so much on their own. They get overshadowed. They... Yes. Nobody, nobody is saying, how are you doing after cancer? They have, I I know that my husband still worries. Like he's read all the statistics. He's been to all the appointments. Mm -hmm. He, he knows my chances of reoccurrence and all of those things. And and he worries. Yes. Uh, That's exactly like, I think my husband was in a survival mode during time Mm -hmm. and it didn't hit him how much it affected him. 
until maybe a few months after my surgery mm-hmm. where he, he got into like very anxious anxiety, like very fearful mm-hmm. to the point that, you know, he had to quit his job to kind of get his life a little bit back together. Like it affected him so much. And until this day, it still does. I had like a recent scare a week right. ago. And, you know, like it takes him back to like, oh my gosh, this is, this is so real. Like I could lose my wife Yes, and I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, people don't realize like they go through cancer too. Yep. And I feel bad for our husbands because they go through it, but they see it and they don't know what to do. They have no, yeah. Chris, Chris, that was his biggest thing was he was just like, I feel so helpless Yep. Um, there's nothing I can do to solve this problem. There's nothing I can do to alleviate your pain. There's nothing I can do to help the sickness go away any faster or take your anxiety away or anything like that. And it does affect them so much. And like you just said, your husband quit his job and like started over. That's, that's where Chris, that's where he was. That's kind of what, where he is, is just, he felt like there's no way I can do this army thing anymore. They yeah. don't, they don't understand that. And obviously like in a, in a military type setting, it's like mission first, everything else is last. But what, you know, Chris is like, they don't understand that that's not my mission. Like, right, exactly. Like I'm sitting, yeah, I'm showing up to work, but my mind is not at work. My mind is, mm-hmm. you know, what's, what's Kelsey going through or the next doctor's appointments, or we're waiting for these results and I cannot function. Yep anymore. And I just feel like, you know, they don't, they don't get as much support as I agree as they need. And it's just kind of like, and even now they, like you just said, you had a scare and up in the morning and say, Oh my gosh, like my hips really hurt, you know? But then, and they automatically go to, well, should you call your doctor? Maybe you should make an appointment. Should we take you to the hospital? And so then they get all anxious and then you get all anxious. And then it's like (laughs) this whole like vicious cycle of everybody being like, should we call the doctor? Could it be cancer? Could it be just hip pain (laughs) it's true it is so hard to decide these days like because I don't want to make everything that's like off is cancer yep but at the same time your mind goes there because then you hear other stories right people who have metastasized and you're like but they for them it was cancer yes you know you can't it's so hard. Like even when a month ago I had to go to the ER cause I've never had a UTI mm-hmm. and I didn't understand like why I had to go to the bathroom and this may be TMI for some people. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Like literally like to the point I couldn't sleep because I was afraid I was going to pee in my pants. And I was like, you know, it's in the middle of the night. So I would just, I knew where the toilet was. I didn't yeah. turn on the lights. So I was like, so I was like, you know what? let me just check what's going on. Turn on the lights. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm it's blood. (gasps) Like what? I, you know, I can't help but like, what the F like I was literally fine a few hours ago. I don't understand. So we went to the ER and of course, because of my cancer history, they can't just like, they assumed it was UTI, but because Mm -hmm. of my cancer history, they had to literally do a series of tests. Right. And that was scary because then they wouldn't let release us until they know the results of these tests. Right. And I'm like, holy crap, what if it is cancer? Um, and they, you know, like they apologize. I feel bad for them because they're like, we're just doing this because of your history. Right. It doesn't mean we think it's cancer, but your mind totally takes you there. Thankfully it wasn't. And I found out because we 
um, our hormones are being suppressed, Mm -hmm. that we are just more prone to getting some type of infection. Yes. And I didn't realize that. And when I told my oncologist, she's like, yeah. And she's like, I didn't want to tell you, um, you know, early on, because I don't know if you will be one of those who will be starting to get like UTIs and stuff like that. Um, and I totally get it. Like you don't want to list like a series of stuff and then I freak out about everything. Everything. Yeah. (laughs) No, I feel that's, that's the drugs affect everyone so differently. And I had side effects that my doctors didn't even know you could have side effects of, of the skin reaction that I had to Herceptin, even going, you know, being on Herceptin for so long. Um, I was having what was called like a drug eruption where the, like my body was not metabolizing the drug and it was literally just coming out in my skin and was causing a staph infection Oh my God. in my skin. But it happened every time I got Herceptin. And my, you know, my oncologist and his PA, they're putting me on all the drugs that are known to cure these types of things, like all these steroids mm-hmm. and all this type of stuff. And they're going, it's not going away. It's only getting worse. So then I saw a dermatologist who finally they did more biopsies and scrapings and everything and said, no, it's a staph infection in your skin. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, oh I'm God. like, and so I'm automatically thinking we have to stop this drug. Yeah. But my, you know, my doctors are like, no, no, there is no stopping Herceptin for you. Like we will just figure out some type of cocktail we can, that we can get you through this. And I'm just like, okay. And the same with like the Lupron shots, you know, my ovaries just did not want to shut down. Um, it was not, I still got my period after my first um, hormone shot. Then I didn't get it on my second, but then on my third, same thing. Like I'm fine. I'm fine. All of a sudden I'm doubled over on my couch. Like I feel like I'm going to give birth. Like, Oh my God. I was like, just, and I'm, I'm crouched over the couch and I'm literally like, Oh my God. And Chris is like, we got to call 911. Like (laughs) what's happening? What's happening? And I said, Chris, I, I, and I've had four babies all natural. So I'm like, Chris, I'm not, this is with no exaggeration. I swear to God, I'm like at 10 centimeters dilated, but there's going to be no baby that comes out of me. Like, (laughs) but that's the level of pain I'm in. Then all of a sudden I went through two to three hours of that. It goes away. And I call my PA the next morning and I said, like, this is what I'm going through. And she's like, okay, but you're okay now. And I said, yeah. She said, well, maybe we should get you in for a pelvic ultrasound. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, that's the last thing I want. But then all of a sudden I start bleeding. Oh my gosh. And she's like, don't take the Arimidex, which is like the other hormone um, pill that I'm on, she's like, don't take it because it only, you can only take that if you're in menopause and, or, you know, or at least you're not having a period. And she said, so don't take that, but you got to come in because now we need to give you another shot. We have to make sure that like your ovaries are suppressed. But the same thing I'm thinking, well, what, what, what would be the reason that it's not working? Uterine cancer, ovarian cancer, like, right. If you Google it, that's where it leads yeah. you is people yeah. saying, oh, I was on Lupron, but I was bleeding and I, it led to a different cancer diagnosis. And so I'm yeah. like, shit. And then Chris is freaking <laughs> out and you know, you, and so that's what I think people don't understand is that they automatically think once you've gotten through it, that you're cured yeah. yep, and that, you know, that, or that you're in remission. Or, you know, they, they throw out all these terms that they've heard before or in a movie or something, (laughs) but it's not an actual thing. (laughs) Like it's not, that's not the actual course of cancer. 
Exactly. So, I mean, it's just, I could talk, I mean, I could talk about that with you. I'm like, I can't too. I'll be forever, like, but bring it on. <laughs> for the sake of not turning this into a four hour podcast um, with, I really wanted you to come on because I recognize that you kind of feel the same way that I feel about the month of October. And oh, yeah. before you get diagnosed with breast cancer, you are so supportive of the month of oh. October. Like you, oh, yeah. anybody who goes out, I mean, you go to the grocery store and they say, you know, we're so, it's October, it's breast cancer awareness month. Oh. Can you donate $5? And you're like, shit, I'll donate 10. Like, yes, absolutely. And you're oh, buying, yeah. yes, anywhere you go and you see the pink ribbon or whatever, mm-hmm. I mean, you're just, you're jumping at reasons to help the breast cancer community out. But what you don't realize is that that pink ribbon or that pink shirt or that pink beanie, Mm -hmm. it's not, there are, there's a, there's a real patient behind that color. Yes. And there's not so much being, being done as, as much as people think. So I would love, I mean, you've shared a ton of information on your Instagram and everything before, and it it is super helpful and it makes people think about the month of October differently. So I'd love for you to share like your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, it's bittersweet thinking of October because I want people to do something about breast cancer. I want to feel like one day I want to know, I feel like I I'm cured. Um, but at the same time, I don't think people realize where their money's for or if that organization they are supporting is going to overall good. I, I always tell people now, and people like get like thrown off. I'm like, I don't support breast cancer awareness. And they're like, what? But you have breast cancer. I was like, awareness is not going to save my life. I was like, I don't see how an organization can throw a million, need a million dollars to tell a woman they need mammograms. Right. I'm sorry, but I could do that and I don't need a million dollars. Right. Um, you know, and so I was like, what I care about is the money is to either have better treatments, mm-hmm. find ultimately a cure to breast cancer so that people don't ever die from breast cancer. Like I feel for the people who are metastatic because I mean, it sucks to hear that once you're stage four, you're terminal. Like I just, it hurts me to hear that. And Mm -hmm. it hurts me to know that what if I get to that point? Right. Um, And so I, I, I just want people to be aware of where their money's going and don't assume. I mean, there's stuff out there I even see that just have the pink ribbon, but they just have a pink ribbon and it doesn't even go anywhere. It's right. literally just to say it's breast cancer. Right. And I think people need to be more mindful. Like, okay, if you're going to put your money somewhere in October, I say not awareness, mm-hmm. but more towards making sure it goes to advanced research. And yes. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that people don't necessarily know that, but, and, and I don't, I don't want to make it seem like I'm not grateful or that I don't support, right. you know what I mean? Like, I feel like yeah. sometimes when I have conversations, I come off really harsh, Likewise. Um, <laughs> like, but it's not, that's not my intention. It's just that, you know, once you go through it, you realize that there are not all these resources that yeah. you're led to believe that there that are out there for patients or for breast cancer, mm-hmm. Or for survivors or yeah. like, and you just realize that it is a lonely road to walk. But during the month of October, the world makes it seem like there's just so much support. And, yes. and it's just, I, and I didn't know about the different, about 
awareness versus research versus clinical trials versus I didn't know all these varying degrees of where your money could go. And it made me step back and think, oh my gosh, I've spent tons of money. (laughs) Yeah, me too. And it didn't, and it, it didn't go to help or to further the research that we have. And now, um, I think I did like a Google search on like top breast cancer research foundations and charities and stuff. And then it led me, I might have to like put it on my, like a link on my blog or something. It led to me finding that like these, these charities and these foundations are graded, you know, from an A to an F yeah. as far as where your money goes. And, and you only get an A if 90% of your money is going towards research or what you're saying it goes towards. And so many of these places, like you said, they're just putting a ribbon up there. Exactly. It's hard for us because I don't ever want to take away from the ribbon or the pink. I feel like, I feel like there, I feel like there is a community there. I feel like that that is needed for some people. Everyone deals with their disease differently. Um, so whether you gravitate towards the pink or you, or you don't, like it serves a purpose yep. and everybody can identify with it. But I just wish that people knew more along the lines of like the, the pink is it's a symbol, but there's real people, you know, that are associated with this disease and there's young women and there's, it's so much more than just pink. Right. I think people see also breast cancer awareness, like a happy story, like, You know, you hear like the news or ads about like how many women are surviving breast cancer, which is amazing, but they don't share like what the struggles they go through um, or how many of them have actually metastasized and why it's so important. I mean, everyone that's, I think that's why people think breast cancer is the happy cancer. And I remember this one blogger, I'm not going to say here because I, I think she's just not well informed. She was, um, she did some campaign for prostate cancer, which I think also needs to have, be, I think any cancer people need to support. Mm-hmm. Um, but what she did is she, in order to talk about prostate cancer, she put down breast cancer. Like everybody is supporting breast cancer and we don't need enough of that. And I was just like, my mind, I'm thinking you're, you're campaigning for something, a good cause, but you, you know, make sure you know what you're talking about before you bring down another cancer organization. Yeah. And that's, I think that's, and we have talked about this, like just how naive Mm -hmm. people are to cancer. They don't understand. People think that breast cancer is breast cancer. They don't mm-hmm. understand that breast cancer can, can jump. It doesn't even have to go through your lymphatic system. I mean, that's yep. what they thought when they saw the spot on my liver was they thought it just jumped because at that point, my, yeah. lymph, my lymph nodes weren't showing anything when we did in, a, in an MRI, but the MRI was showing the spot on my liver. And so they were like, it jumped. And I'm sitting yeah. here Googling breast cancer jumping like <laughs> to the liver. And I'm like, how is this even a fucking Google search? Like right? this is so insane. But I think I had no idea that cancer could break off and just travel through your lymphatic system without actually staying in your lymphatic system. Yeah. And then, you know, three weeks later, we did find out that no, I did have, um, you know, it had moved to my lymph nodes as well. And so I just feel like people don't understand that breast can it's not breast cancer that necessarily is kill, right. killing people. Right. Um, breast cancer has to go somewhere 
that's what people need to know. And it's not like, oh, we put down, we still don't know how to cure or save people with stage four breast cancer. Not breast cancer is not the good cancer. Nope. Breast cancer is not the one you want to have. You don't want to have any cancer. No, not at but all. <laughs> it's amazing to me the things that people will say to you, not in a malicious way, just in a way that they're just misinformed. Exactly. They're like, well, at least you have breast cancer. Like, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's like, yes, that's exactly what I think at night. At least <laughs> I have breast cancer. Yeah. Like, because it would just be so horrible if I had, you know, some other cancer or it would just be so much better. Like, right? like no, all cancer is bad. All bad. cancer is scary. It does. Yes. It's great that you caught it early. It means that treatments can work for you, but 20 right. to 30% of early stage breast cancer metastasizes. Exactly. And it like, it doesn't matter what stage you were at to begin with. It's just, those are the statistics. And that, yes. And what they, what people don't understand also, I think is like when, if you're, if you, let's just say you're stage one with breast cancer, if you do have a reoccurrence, you're now stage four. Yeah, exactly. It, it doesn't progress to the next stage. And that's what people don't understand. It's yes. like, people, like the moment it's outside the breast area, it's stage four. Yes. And that's what people don't understand. It's not like, oh, if you have this part, like several parts of your body, now you're four. It's like, no, it's like anything outside of the breast, you're stage four. It's just hard because you don't, I don't want to be mean about it. And I don't want to feel like I'm, yeah, or, or and I don't ever want to be like, I'm not grateful. I am so grateful. Breast cancer mm-hmm. has changed me and changed yeah. my life and my family in a way that nothing else possibly could have. Yeah. So, and I've also gained a sense of strength and confidence about myself that has nothing to do with an outer appearance. Yeah. You know, cause like my outer appearance obviously has changed <laughs> so much and being bald and you know, my boobs and now everything with even just a bilateral mastectomy, like all of that has changed. Mm-hmm. There's an inner confidence that, you know, yeah. like things just don't, they don't phase me the way, like sometimes I think yeah. about things that I used to get upset over and I'm like, man, I was just a raging bitch walking around. (laughs) Like, how was I? I would tell Chris, like, I don't know how you've stayed married to me (laughs) because I would just get mad over the littlest things and I would, and I would hold grudges or I would just get into these horrible moods for weeks at a time over the smallest thing. And now it's like, if I start to have a down moment, I'm like, nope, nope. We got to switch that. We got to like, yeah. We got to turn this train around because I know where it could go. Yes. So I, that's exactly how I feel like I'm like breast cancer sucks, but it also was a blessing in yes. a very weird way. Like I, I think my life is so much better now than it was a couple years ago. hundred percent. Thank you so much for like coming on and telling your story and being so open and, but also just being, being able to talk about it in a casual way and laugh. (laughs) And I mean, I know that sometimes it's like, how could you be laughing when you're talking about cancer, cancer, but when you've gone through it and you can look back or you can make a joke about it, I feel like it. Um, no, I agree. It's like, it's, it's our normal. Yeah. That's how I see it. Like, I don't think I could have this conversation with anyone else. Um, I, I think it's like, we have like, as I said, like, with breast cancer, you have a connection with people that's so on a different level. Um, 
And it, I, I don't know. It, it's just so much easier. Like I could talk to you for hours, Kelsey. Yes, like, I know. Like, and I will swear and cuss and bash things and know like, I'm not going to be judged. Oh no, no. Cause I just let it all hang out. So, <laughs> um, but thank you so much. And I, oh, I know that you. this, this will definitely serve a purpose far greater than me and you sitting here talking that it will help somebody <laughs> and that it will hopefully let somebody know that there, there is life after cancer. It's not, there there, it's not easy by any means, but mm-hmm. it's doable. And yes, yes. And that's it. So thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, no, thank you for having me. This is fun. <laughs> <laughs>